Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen and non-binary. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe. And in just a few moments, we're going to find out whose body my head has been surgically attached to this week. Then we're going to be given a theme, and it'll be our job to each pick a movie that fits that theme, watch, and discuss. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. Here we are with our guest, and it's our first ever return guest, also the first person ever to be on the show. It's Jared Jordan back again from Metallic Dice Games. Hey, Jared, how's it going? Oh, good, but I didn't realize you're going to be on the other side. You're telling me you're going to have a second scar now? Jeez, you guys could coordinate this a little better. We just actually thought you would dig the symmetry of it. I, I guess. I, that is that is the definition of beauty, right? I guess now we'll have our choice next time. If you, When you're back again, we can just flop my head on anywhere. It makes it a little bit easier. Suddenly it's going to be uh, the, the head on top of the head, though. You know, that's how that's how I originally uh, pictured the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, how his head's like above and below instead of to the sides. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, a, so that's an inconvenient. My... So kind of my neck hole would just be stitched onto the top of your skull? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, that'd be weird. It'd be very weird. Get a headache from too much talking. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Stop chomping your food. Well, where would that food go? It'd just be, like, piling up. You had an anatomy just as this. All right, yeah, let's not get... too much. (laughs) We don't don't need to get too into the weeds on that. But how's it going? Um... Even though this is only the second time you've been on the show, this is the third time we've recorded, and we seem to have a habit of always choosing comic book release days. Yeah, yeah. Wednesday's a good day. You know, it's the uh, best day of the week, so why not, you know, do some of the best things to do? We'll get we'll get Jared when he's in his best mood possible. <laughs> right? Freshly napped, got a good walk-in, uh, free, or not freak out, new comic book day includes a really long walk in, in my day. So I, I often get a nap in, uh, which is good. You know, it's nice to get a long, long walk and a nap. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, uh, you know, these days, everybody's stuck inside. It's good to get out for a while. We're going to, um, as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to be heading out on a walk as well. Try to get, get a, an hour or two every day. Yep. Yep. Gotta, gotta go look at those bugs, right? Yep. Yep. The little one likes to catch her crickets. <laughs> My little one likes to catch crickets too, but I think they're doing different things than what your little one's doing. Oh yeah, my little one is just catching them, petting them, and releasing them. She is, she is creating an army of crickets, one cricket at a time. Mine's a murderous cat. Yeah, well, mine, mine is a four-year-old, <laughs> four-year-old girl. So, uh, so hey, why don't we uh, open up this note, take a look at what we're supposed to pick, and we'll get talking about the movies. It looks like our theme today is this the real life. So we can interpret that however we want, but let's go ahead and confer and we'll be back in just a moment to start discussing the movies. All right, so first up today with our discussion of movies that fit the theme, is this the real life? We're gonna go with Existence from 1999. 
Existence is written and directed by David Cronenberg, actually his first original screenplay since Videodrome in 1983, and his last until Cosmopolis in 2012. The film is set I, I, in... I think you're pronouncing the name wrong. It's Existence, capital X, capital Z. You didn't pronounce that capital X. Yeah, well, they say it plenty of times in the movie. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're trying to pull here. Just trying to derail the show right away. The, so the film is set in a near future world in which video games are played by connecting the system straight into your spinal cord. There is an escalating war of ideas between video game designers and players and the realists who believe video games threaten the fabric of society. Existence, the movie, follows superstar game designer Allegra Geller, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, and intern Ted Peichel, played by Jude Law, as they try to hide out from assassins bent on destroying her and her new game, Existence. So... I believe you've seen this movie before, correct, Jared? Yeah, yeah. This uh, this is the second time I've I've seen this movie. Um, of of the the movies that we are watching here, uh, I actually saw it second at a significantly later point. Uh, so uh, it wasn't until you mentioned it that I didn't realize the the, the movies we're watching were same year. So is uh, when when I watched this movie, I. You know, I, I originally thought that right away is like, oh, this is this is like 13th floor, the other movie we're going to be watching. You know, I, I thought of that as like, oh, hey, that's kind of like this one movie. And and both movies are often reflected uh, or referenced upon Matrix, another movie that came out the same year. Uh, and Matrix was a movie that I had seen after 13th floor. I know a lot of people see that the other way around. Most Most people are more familiar with Matrix, but that was the movie I had seen first. So both of these movies had, had kind of had that resonance going for me. Uh, still, I, I, I enjoyed both the, all three movies. I enjoy all three as well. All of these were released in 1999. And it's a fact that just really amazes me because I think Matrix, they were all released one month after each other. Uh, the yes. Matrix, it was like Matrix in March, Existence in April, 13th Floor in May. And, and each of them has their own level of, of technology. And for 1999, I mean, 1999, we're starting to get pretty comfortable with where technology is, but it's not like quick, easy, we can throw this together in a minute. There's really no way that you can say these movies were taken from one another. But if you don't know they came out as quickly as they did, like I did, you, you can easily go, oh, I, did they copy this movie? Did they copy this movie? That's not helped by the fact that the home video releases and, and probably some of the theatrical release marketing for both Existence and The 13th Floor mention The Matrix. The DVD that I have for Existence has a quote on the cover right on the cover that says, makes the Matrix look like child's play. That's very unfair to Existence. And of course, I think unfair to the 13th floor. Later on, we'll discuss more of that. Even though these films tackle a similar theme of blurring the uh, line between techno technological simulation and real life, they're coming at it from such different angles. There's nothing else much similar about the movie. They're all They're, their they're almost each in their own genre. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know they all hit that sci-fi genre, but like the the other genres that they they fall under are are a lot different, you know. Yeah, and it just the Matrix was such a cultural phenomenon. I mean, it, I don't think anybody really. I mean, nobody 
I don't think anybody really expected Existence to be a, a blockbuster. It's a little bit too weird, a little bit too Cronenbergian, um, <laughs> and a, a little pretty low budget as well. But just to be released after The Matrix, and The Matrix just made everything else like it, it flattened things. Two months later, when Thirteenth Floor came out, The Matrix was still the hot movie everybody was talking about. Yeah, I, I think it really did bury these movies. I mean, especially like existence the budget was 15 million dollars and it made less than three million dollars in theaters existence of of all of them was a total mystery to me when it was introduced to me because uh i i I probably saw existence 2005 maybe six you know it, it had been out for a while uh not having seen you know uh i usually saw 13th floor and the matrix when they first hit man what vhs 99 oh, yeah it, i guess it could have been 99 it might have been 2000 but that was that was still vhs era maybe maybe yeah oh yeah yeah definitely it was yeah VHS totally was era. yeah yeah i would have i would have been watching them on vhs at the time it, it was vhs era but movies used to take a lot longer to come out yeah no uh that was sure. one of the big pushes for dvds if you don't remember it was a uh, same day as rental and we were a rental family so we we had definitely rented these movies you know this actually um i mean the matrix was one of my first first ever dvd purchases uh, that was a useless aside but uh <laughs> hey know, hey you remember your first right <laughs> well no my i know my first my first was six, <laughs> my first dvd was six string samurai i paid 34 dollars for it and i didn't have a dvd player yet i remember this guy at the movie store made me get that movie a oh, good good flick good flick i i just it'll be its own episode eventually i just <laughs> i love that soundtrack so much working at the college station that i just had to buy it immediately when it came out because there was no other way for me to see it up in alaska yeah. um so yeah anyway existence i saw in theaters and i actually remember very clearly the viewing experience i was going to college at the time i was at uaa and i couldn't get a ride home so i had to walk from uaa to my home in jewel lake most okay. listeners aren't going to know Anchorage landscapes, but that is the opposite ends of town, almost literally. You're looking three hour walk. So I'm walking home from class and my path takes me past the university center. That theater hasn't been there for years, but there was a theater there. And I was like, I'm, I just want to sit and watch a movie. It's like the middle of the day and I'm, I, I'm, you know, I have nothing going on. I've just been walking. I'm going to rest here in the theater. And I went and saw Existence. And I remember before I went to Existence, I went to the little supermarket there next to the mall i grabbed a submarine sandwich and i went in i bought my ticket and i sat down i was the only person in the theater <laughs> like literally nobody came in and so i just sat there in the direct middle of the auditorium put my feet up and ate my lunch and watched existence and it was such a pleasant day like i loved the movie but it was like such a i love going to movies by myself that's, was, that's my usual viewing. I, I almost always hit daytime matinees. If you hit the first showing of a movie, even on like new release days, you'll often get a near empty theater. I used to hit movies every Friday with my buddy Cliff. And, and if it wasn't just us two, there might have been a total of like five other people in the theater. And uh, well, it's, it, it's the best time to hit, a, hit the theater. <laughs> yeah, this this was this was 1999. This was about when the University Center Theater was about to close. I remember also that same year, my friends and I went to go see Cradle Will Rock and we, we got there 15 minutes late thinking like, okay, well, we'll, we'll maybe miss the credits and definitely the trailers. 
But we went in there and we bought our tickets. And as we passed by, we heard the guy saying, hey, go ahead and start the movie. There's people here now. The university theater, the center theater was, was definitely in its last days. I was about to say, is like the only experiences I ever had of university theater is an empty theater. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I remember just a couple of years earlier. I don't know. Was, that would have been after the... Uh, um, Century? Yeah, the Century opened, right? Yeah, not, not too far away from it. Yeah, because I remember away. just two years earlier going to see The Fifth Element and having to sit on the on the stairs because they, I guess that... I mean, the fire marshal shouldn't have allowed it, but I guess they oversold <laughs> the theater and there were no seats anywhere. And so we, me and my friend had to sit on the stairs. So after I saw this in the theaters, I loved it. I was fairly familiar with Cronenberg at this time. I'd seen like the fly and Videodrome and everything. And I loved this movie and I'm, I'm a little surprised it, it's been ignored even by Cronenberg fans, it doesn't get brought up very much. Cause like- really, cause this movie, like if you know anything about him, like screams like there's so much of his signature in it. I like to say that this is a, a very good starter movie for Cronenberg. It has all of his themes and all of the different modes that he works in, but it's not, it's never too much of one of them. Okay. A lot of people, a lot of people complain about how gross Cronenberg can be. And this movie has a little bit of it, but I think it's very tame. Yeah, it, I, I was just about to comment, like the, the one thing that, you know, Cronenberg does that, that weird, creepy organic that he loves to have. And this movie has enough, like the existence system, the bioports, like that stuff creeps me out. Like, I really don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, it's it just gets... enough to creep you out. Not enough that it's like, it gets really gory. I mean, at one point, it gets fascinating when they when they're doing surgery, repairing the the one fixed one, you know, where where you actually see like their organs and they're just like grabbing things. Where that part can be a little bit gross, but it in its natural casing is just like, ugh, that's very fleshy. What is that? Ugh, it's so weird. And then, yeah, it. What are they called? A flesh pod or a biopod? Bioports. Bioports. So, well, that's the port in their back. Like a, they call, they compare it to piercing an ear, but they basically poke a hole in your spine, and oh, yeah. it 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 kind of looks like essentially it. touch it. <laughs> yeah, and it looks it kind of looks like a butthole on your spine. But then the the pods that they the, <laughs> the pods that they play with, and they're all connected. They all connect to different pods through umbilical cords. And that's not just like wires that we're calling umbilical cords. They are no, no, straight up. And they, they, they put them in you and then they twist with a. <laughs> it, yeah, it is very bio. Like he, he likes that, um, that biological technology and it's very much Cronenbergian, but it's not, it's not too gross. If you think of stuff like Videodrome or uh, the fly even. It, yeah, so it's, it, it's just enough to make you feel a little uncomfortable, but still you're intrigued because it's it's a, a bioorganic technology that they're being used, and they they paint the scenery so broad they don't they don't dive into it at all. But it's it's a normal thing that everyone's doing, and this is a new system that it uses the standard port. That's something that's brought up multiple times. Like, are there non-industry standard ports? You know, it seems that every every system, you know, this is this is an HDMI cord basically that 
an HDMI port that you're just installing in your, your body. The one guy that comes in the first scene when they're about to go into Existence for the first time, they're about to play test it. And the guy that arrives late, he brings his out and it, his pod looks different from everybody else's. He says it, like there's a bit of dialogue there about how it's obsolete, but he's found a way to, he's kind of found a way to modify it so it works with newer games. They comments on like custom casing and whatnot and you see it and it actually looks cool. It doesn't look as fleshy. But it looks like it, like just a plastic mold, like an early sketch of what uh, what the rest of the flesh pods if, look like. If Kenner were to make a toy off of the existence pod, it would look like that. Yeah, yes. So you can imagine like even, I mean, video games, have, people have been modding video games for years, getting like systems to play on TVs that they shouldn't or games to work in systems that they shouldn't. So you can imagine that would work in this world as well and Pykel actually talks about how it's his first after he because in the beginning of the game Jude Law's character does not have a bioport he's never played any of these video games and he gets one in the course of the movie and he then refers to it as his first which made me think like do, do people have multiple bioports then on their back or in other areas because it seems kind of like it would be a one-time thing right like you just get get the one you can't put too many holes in your spine right and and there's a, a scene uh robert silverman's talking where he's, he's asking them about the standard you know the, the industry standard bioport you, you need to have do you have an industry standard bioport like making that specific notation that are there other you know variations you can get like is this is this sony versus microsoft you know <laughs> well yeah the, the gaming wars get intense <laughs> yeah well, at that point, they're in existence because they they poured in. She wants to see if her game's been damaged. Well, so the movie begins. They're play testing. Somebody come comes they're in. They're about to play test. Yeah, they're about to play test. They've all started to like connect, and an assassin comes and shoots Allegra Geller, and she survives. They then her and Pykel go on the run. And at the point you're he talking pulls about, out, he pulls out the gnarliest looking gun. That, oh, is, that is like, <laughs> I love that gun so much. It's such a cool prop. If I could, I, w I would love to have that prop here somewhere in my, in my house. It's so great. The, the one special feature that gun has, like if you were to add like a special video game mechanic to it, it's upon impact extra gore. Cause whenever that gun hits a person, it like they have like extra amount of blood and splatter that spews out. Just well, you're like, oh, it, geez. <laughs> yeah, because it's not shooting bullets. It's not shooting like a, a streamlined bullet. It's shooting teeth. <laughs> That's yeah. It's really, really <laughs> like literally chewing up the flesh when it hits. No, but that that gun is great. It the gun's gonna appear several times in different forms. Well, always pretty much the same form, but different moments right. in the film. So take the, it with them, look at it over. It's hard. Those teeth? What? What kind of weapon yeah. is this? Yeah. So they, they go on the run. She wants to check to make sure her game hasn't been just damaged. So they, oh, she's freaking out about it the whole time. <laughs> like she that 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 is her number one worry. She's she's the aloof video gamer, doesn't like getting along with society with people in actual society, lives her life in the video game, the the programmer, you know. Yeah. So yeah, she's her whole thing's like she, she calls it her baby, you know, I got to get into it. It's hurt. It's dying. I don't know what's going on. I got to get into it and obsess, obsessing over it, you know? Well, part of it, you know, you got to say it's it's her work too. She, she comments on how many years she's been working on the game. It, it is her work. And 
in the flesh pod and the bioports, it's almost literally her baby as well. I mean, it, it seems to be a living thing that connects to her body. She, they, they say that the, the body is the battery for the game. So, but the, the talk, the scene you were talking about just to start this, um, with Robert Silverman, that was in existence when they go into the game, he's meant to be an NPC. Basically he's a non-playable character. Um, he he does it really well, and and uh, you know, casually throwing out Robert Silverman. Like, if, if those who aren't familiar, he he's known for working with Cronenberg. Yeah, he's he's a Canadian actor. He's been around in in a lot of Canadian films. He's very memorable. He's got a he's got a really interesting voice and demeanor, and he's putting on like this ridiculous Scottish accent. I, I it took me a while to realize it's supposed to be kind of Scottish. Okay, uh, is that what they're shooting for? I think I wasn't sure like how much of it was like NPC, like early programming, but, but that's like a finalized game. But, but there, there's, there's the moment where he's just, you know, the, they're, they're explaining how he's an NPC and how he's waiting for a triggered response. And he's just sitting there like staring out into space. It's like rolling his head around. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. Like, like waiting to fumble out some words is like, Ooh. And as soon as, as soon as the, the key phrase, he like kind of pops back in. Oh, let me say what I need to say now is really, he does it so well. He does. He's, he's great. Like he was a perfect, perfect choice for that role. Like and- such a small role, but such a memorable part, you know? So one of the things that really surprised me about this movie is that I I don't think Cronenberg is a big gamer. Reading interviews with him, seeing him speak, like knowing his interests or what he talks about, I don't think video games are up there at all. But he really captures kind of the essence of how video games work, if not the mechanics of it. He hasn't quite created a game that really looks like something people would just be dying to play. But the trappings of it are all there, like the memorable NPCs that are only there to get you to the next scene. What we were just talking about, where he's kind of like rotating through emotions until somebody says the right line. There's meaningless actions that or arbitrary nature of some of the actions that you have to do, like Jude Law and uh, Allegra Geller, <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee. I should not refer to one as their character and the other as their actor name. Um, you know, the, <clears throat> the character names, though, like, Peichel, I, I really like that last name. I don't know what it is. It, it just it rolls really go. Allegra Geller, like she, her name is brought up multiple times in the death to Allegra Geller. You know, it's like it just flows really well. Yeah, okay, I could see killing her. Yeah, shout that out. Why not? Cronenberg has, had, you know, he names characters well, but in this, well, but then you get William Defoe named Gas. Well, yeah, <laughs> We're, I'm gonna. That's a. <laughs> there's a there's a big. Uh, a big thing I want to talk to you about there, but he also gets like, so Peichel and uh, Geller throughout the gameplay of existence find themselves doing things that they don't, they don't know why they're doing them, but it is kind of an arbitrary action that needs to happen for them to get to the next segment. And it, it seems kind of like, like a video game. If you're playing a game long enough and you can't figure it out, sometimes the game will give you hints or nudge you in the right direction. Or it's almost like the, a game that suddenly is going into a cutscene where it's one of those cutscenes that's not a cutscene, but they're using the graphics and it's just like starts moving your character along in a directed path. Yeah. So it, it kind of surprises me how well Cronenberg kind of captures the essence of gameplay 
and then interprets it in his own way. Like on the surface, you would not look at this and think video game. But when you get into kind of the the trappings and the mechanics of it, it does feel more video game-like than say uh, a Mario Brothers or other video game movies. Like it actually, <laughs> it, it does actually feel like a video game is unfolding at times. It has, it has that immersion, that video game immersion in there. Oh, that's perfect, yeah. We're going to spoil this. I mean, both of these movies. Yeah, we need to spoil it because there's a part of it that you're you're kind of commenting on about the, the trappings of a video game. My first watch through, having seen the, the other two movies and, and knowing of, of worlds within worlds, there was something bugging me uh, about like, especially when they get to the gas station, but the drive out there, the gas station, there's there's something about the lighting the whole time. And if you look like in the background, uh, like just background props are kind of like monotone and color, but just like there's a, a weird central lighting that that bugs the crap out of me. I, I notice small things in movies quite often and you start to come across things like the country club is just called the country club and the gas station is just called like small gas station. It's called country gas station. Country gas, yeah. It's like the names of everything are super generic. Uh, William Dafoe is named Gas, and like, don't get me wrong. William Dafoe is—he does a phenomenal job. I'm I'm a huge fan of William Dafoe, and 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 this movie is a, a still. He's he's grown up. He's not as young as he was in the Streets of Fire, but it's still a there's still a freshness to the William Dafoe in this movie. He still has a youngness to him. That's that's. That's that's great, but yeah, no, he, he 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 his his character. There's 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 some actors in here that that do a really good job. I think everybody in this movie does a great job, even when they're meant to be kind of ridiculous or generic, or not even generic. But you talk, we'll we'll get back to the point in a minute. But on that point, like, let's talk about uh, Robert Silverman. He's a ridiculous character, but he fits because he's within a game and you realize like, oh, this is kind of supposed to be memorable. Um, she even comments about like once they get out of existence, she comments about how she didn't like his character because he was very he was very one note and just seemed kind of odd. But that that's kind of what the movie is going for. Or even um, there's another the non Robert Silverman scene like seeing him is when for for me, I remember watching it the first time like. I really started questioning things because well, of the comments of him waiting there for, for a specific comment. There's like a scene later on where Pykel asks her something and she doesn't respond. And like, you wonder, like, wait a minute, is, is he in the simulation right now? Yeah. Well, what's going on here? Or, but then there's a scene when she's looking at like the two headed lizard where it looks like, she had just logged into the system, you know, because uh, when Pykel first does the, the logging into the system, he's just amazed how everything feels. Um, the bleed through effects, when they show them first, like actually going into the games, those 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 were some great capture effects where you just see parts of the video game walking in and then like they're completely into the video game. That was that was really cool. Yeah, it's it's very um, it is very like kind of seamless. Uh, but I, I want to go back and kind of just correct a little bit what you said or, or, or um, clarify because all of those scenes that you were just talking about or the scene where Allegra Geller kind of did the non-player character thing of rotating through dialogue until Pykel said the right thing, that was 
exist ends. They were supposed to be in the game at that point. So those those scenes are part of the simulation. Um, it's confusing because the big spoil is most of the movies they're in the game, I, but when I they're think... in the game, they go into the game, and inside that game, they go into a game. And at one point inside that game, she's about to log into another game system. Well, they do because they go. Inception from the... has nothing on this movie. What we see is three different layers of video game. Because yeah, that's the big spoil. Everything we see from the opening credits is a video game. From Christopher Eccleston there, like at the scene where they're about to do the play test, that's all the beginning of the game. Um, and so we we don't see anything real until possibly the final scene of the movie. And even then, a character the, the, says, hey. The ending, yeah. The ending, <laughs> are the, we the still last, in the game? <laughs> the last line of the movie is, are we still in the game? He he sells that line so well. Like, he goes from pet to like, hey, I got to ask you, are we still in the game? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, everybody's great in this. But there is a very, the movie lets you know very early on that you are in the game. And you actually called it out there when they're at the country gas station. Because everything looks fake. Like, when they're driving on the country roads, it is probably some of the fakest rear projection. And they get to the motel is just called motel. The gas station is just country gas station. But then also when Pykele is about to get his first bioport, Allegra Geller waits outside. And yeah, there's a long scene where she's just walking around, touching all the surfaces and admiring them. She goes up to one of the gas pumps and smells it. She's kind of admiring the realism of the world. One thing, did you notice like, very strangely for a sci-fi, not like maybe not strangely, but counterintuitively for a sci-fi video game movie, the deeper into the game they went, the more levels they went, the kind of dirtier and more natural and just kind of rudimentary the world became. Not rudimentary, but like... They were moving from Switch down to GameCube and then down to N64. You can see like the graphics, like they were losing that extra detail. Yeah, but it, it also became a much more natural world. Like the first part of existence they go into is a video game store. There's a well, kind that's of that's the second part of existence. Now that's the first part. The, okay, so if if existence, <laughs> no, 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 wait, wait, we're getting, we're getting. <laughs> See now you're lost. No, no, I'm trying to trying to explain it. So at the end of the movie, you find out they've been playing Transcendence. A game. Okay. From, okay. So, so they're in transcendence. They're in transcendence, and then the first capital level, D, capital Z. Then the first level of existence that they go into is the video game store, and then where they go from umbilical cords to a port system that goes right up inside you. Yeah, it's a little tiny game, and it wraps <laughs> itself around your spine. It's really kind of gross looking. It's it's a really good effect. Um, the, the slurp sound and everything. Yeah, it looks really <laughs> cool. Like, I, a lot of people like. A lot of people talk about how gross Cronenberg is, but man, there is just like a real coolness to some of the gross effects as well. I don't know how to put it. There's an intriguingness, like as as uncomfortable as that tech is, you're still like, okay, but I want to know more. Exactly. So the the first level of existence is their video game store, and I love the which, video which games. to me is a tutorial. Yeah, yeah, I love the video games that you see around them. There's one that like the really big one seems to be hit by a car. <laughs> and then there's another one, which must be what they're putting in because it's Chinese restaurant. Will you survive? survive. Will you survive? Yeah. <laughs> and so the next level, when they get in existential, they go down and they're in Chinese. Well, they're there's in a trout farm, plant. like a, a processing yeah, yeah. plant. They call it a trout farm, but they're not trout. They're all these weird mutated little amphibians. 
and they go to a Chinese restaurant, which is where the gun comes back. Like they order the special and Pykel just is compelled to eat it. And everything well, he eats, he puts the bone bones together and makes that gun. So, so the cool thing is actually we get some, what I believe is supposed to be explaining what the, the existence is, you know, like an in-game meta telling of what the actual system is because they're, that trout farm is is harvesting organs from uh, these mutated amphibians, and these organs are the organs that are used that we see earlier in the movie used to do the repair, the insides of of the actual game unit itself. You know, we learn in this scene that you know, and and it's weird because it's like, oh, is this game within the game? talking about how the actual it's like playing you're playing a game inside switch that makes you play a mini game that tells you how the switch is being made yeah you know? <laughs> uh, but it's really cool because the the trout you know processing plant is is where they're they're harvesting the organs to be used as parts and we later learned that the chinese restaurant is actually a byproduct of that because they they had all these extra parts that they weren't using for the video games and they learned that they had a unique taste so they made a chinese restaurant yeah that's that's, capitalism it is so you get each level of the game becomes a a little bit more low-tech because when they're at that trout farm everything is so dirty the trout farm itself is just kind of like early industrial looking but then when they go outside of it they're just in the middle of the woods and there's a lake and this, you know, these pods or these uh, little ponds where they're growing the animals. Everything is kind of overgrown. Everything looks a little bit wet. <laughs> I mean, it looks like a trout farm. I, I don't know how technology, how technological you expect trout farms to be, but it, no, it, I'm, it, I'm just it saying that the settings, fits, but yeah, <laughs> I'm saying the settings become less technological as they get into it. Yeah. It, it does feel that they are, in the third world or something at this point. I, I was uh, listening to the commentary track on this years ago. One thing that really stood out to me is Cronenberg talked about having to create a futuristic sci-fi world on a very small budget. And he said that the most effective thing you could do is basically just remove detail. Everybody is wearing primary colors and there's no patterns on clothing. And so it- That is a common trope for sci-fi. Yeah, so it, I, I, he's like he was talking about how you don't need to actually make you don't actually make anything just to make the the frame look busy. You make the frame look cleaner, and it'll read futuristic. We kind of talked about like what is and what isn't a game in this, but they're in Existence, and there's that scene you mentioned earlier where Pykel goes up to Allegra. She says something to him, and then he just starts talking back to her, and then she looks at him and she starts repeating her actions and then says the same thing back to him again and yeah he, he's looking at her like oh what's going on here and i can't tell because the very next scene is they go to the chinese restaurant from that that point and she's talking like normal was that tell was she just like really getting into the game where she's like no we just have to act like we're in the game and yeah see of- that that was you know at, at one point i wasn't sure if, if she was real at all you know, like in my original watch through, you know, I, I, I didn't think it was I, I had figured that Jude Law was in the game. And, you know, I was thinking it was he was the only one in it. And I, I, I figured that the big reveal was going to be he was the only one in it. When when they revealed that it was her, I was like, oh, OK, the twist is that it was her, not him. And then they showed everyone. I was like, wait, everyone was in it. 
What's going yeah. on? Oh, okay. That's the opening again. The movie was the movie? <laughs> yeah, so to jump ahead to the end, there, there's a big... I wouldn't call it an action scene. There's action going on in the background, but they're not. Oh, it is a big clusterfuck scene is yeah. what it is. Like it is when like as soon as you think you know what's going on, you don't know what's going on, you really don't go know what's going on. Hey, you might know what's going on again. Nope, you don't know what's going on. Well, cuz they go to a they go to this uh the chateau and Ian Holm is there and he's he's repairing Allegra's game pod. And Ian Holm the did the movie, a, a fantastic job. The end of the movie, yeah, he's he's great and everything. But the end of the movie is the realists descend on the chateau and are like killing everybody. And well, even, people from inside existence, yeah, and came people that out in to become realists that descend upon the chateau, and they like totally gun down her her thing. You're like, wait, what? Like the big the big plot device for the entire movie of I gotta I gotta protect my my baby, I gotta protect this thing. It's suddenly just like machine gun you're like oh that, yeah, that you, just changes everything and and it rapidly changes yeah and you find out ian holm has been working for a competitive game company is trying to is defecting they call it defecting like it they're military factions almost and wants allegra to come with him uh, she kills him and then she kills Pykel, i think and she's like, is that it? Did well, I win? Did I win the game? Well, well because Pykel was saying that he was actually a spy the whole time. He was actually part of that. So movie's full of betrayals. It starts early with with gas, with William Defoe betraying them to begin with. You know, first he's like, Oh, I'm a huge fan of your work. You changed my life. You know, art thou changed my life. I was like, Oh, whoa, how to change your life? It's like, oh, but before I was a mechanic. He's like aren't you a mechanic now? I was like, yeah, but now I, I play this game. And I, I love the line, you know, he goes, imagine me, God, the mechanic, you know, he, he throws that line out there twice and the, the smile that he has, but it turns out he originally installs a bad port into Pykele, you know, so we get the first betrayal there. Uh, Ian Holm supposedly replaces that port, but he had installed a bad port there. So there's another betrayal there. After that, we see Pykele betraying, betraying her. So it's like you just keep seeing these betrayals after betrayals. I want to say like somehow another aid. I want to say there's another betrayal of somebody minor in there that I just can't think of because there's so much going on. In the background, you see just like random events from like other like the the the, the game starts blending. You just start seeing characters and stuff that shouldn't be there. You're like, wasn't that in the other game? Yeah, so um, you, the other betrayal you're talking about is probably um, Evgeny Nourish, the guy that they interact with at the trout farm. Yeah, he, he shoots him, right? Well, no, he... Uh, oh, well, Jude Law kills the Chinese waiter, who's just very friendly. But also, um, Evgeny Nourish says he's on their side, but he's actually with the realists, and they were not in the game. They were not supposed to listen to him. They were not supposed to follow his instructions. And so it... it it can become a bit confusing, although in the end, since it's not real, you, you, you don't really need to follow the motivations of everyone to get the idea of what's going on. After Allegra Geller kills Pykel, it does come out of the game. Everybody comes out of the game, and they're in a playtesting group, and it's all the actors that we've seen. There's Willem Dafoe and Ian Holm there, Callum Keith Rennie, who played the um, one of the military guys, the realists at the end. They're all there. 
and they're they've all just finished playing the game and sarah polly is the game designer Her accents are changed oh no sarah polly isn't the game designer sarah polly is the presenter of the playtest, and the game designer is the guy she's, who plays she's marketing she's she's recording the information i kind of wonder every time i watch this i wonder what the game is like to all of those characters because evgeny it seems Nur to be werewolf if you know the board slash card game werewolf yeah it's 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 a a, a deception game is what it feels like you know mafia or, or something like that where you're 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 trying to suss out like, oh, it wasn't me. Uh, what's the new game? Among Us. It, it almost feels like a, an Among Us, but you're trying to be the the betrayer. And, and I don't know, it, 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 seems, it seems like it could be a pretty fun game. <laughs> well, but think about it from Willem Dafoe's point of view, because he's in it for one scene and then he just watches the rest. Or uh, I can't but remember. I, now, that's one thing I wonder, because like, how are they watching it? It almost, it almost seems like, the other players got to experience it because we hear them commenting, you know, we, we get a, we get a, a survey, you know, they're asking the players the questions after they all get out and they're talking about their experiences. And some of them were like, Oh man, you know, I, I was kind of disappointed because I, I died so early, but it was so much fun and I was such a huge role and you guys were great. And it's like, how do you know what they did? You died so early. How did you see the rest of this game? What is, what is, what does it feel to you? And like, I, I, I almost wonder too, how much was their free will? How much do they remember? Because there's, there's questions of it. Um, they comment how the, the game system is, is kind of built around the characters inside it. But like, did they not recognize the other people? Are they not seeing them as they look? You know, is that not the faces? Are those not the names? You know, like is Gas not William Defoe's actual, you know, that he have a different name as the, the the video game player, but they just see his NPC skin as a different skin. Are they not seeing that William Defoe? There's 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 some questions there that definitely aren't answered about the well, game. Well, I, I think I think we can assume that he had a different name because the the game designer is the guy who played uh, Evgeny Nourish, and he's only in those couple scenes at the Trout Farm, and they say his name. I just can't remember it right now, but it's not Evgeny Nourish when they get out of the game. It's a fun puzzle of a movie and it, it isn't very confusing in the moment. There's a lot to pick through, but when you're watching it, it all seems pretty easy to understand what's going on or at least get the idea of what you're supposed to be getting the idea of. See, part of, part of me kept thinking how much, you know, how much of it was going to be bleed through coming through because they, there's, there's a big part of it that feels that, you can't control your actions is, is one of like the themes going on. And, you know, when, when they start going into these, these character scripts, you know, the, he, he assembles the gun. He's like eating that nasty, the, the daily special is like, she's like, Oh, how can he eat that? He's like, I don't know. It's revolting, but I just can't stop. And he puts together the, your, your, your gross tooth gut pulls out the bridge of his tooth, to shove in the ammo and everything. Um, you know, there's just a feel of it. It's like, how much of it is is taken over you and then we have the scene in the end where where they 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 recreate what happened in the in the beginning like part of me was wondering like do they still have full control we we know the original thing was plugging into them we see that the the actual game system the transcendence is more of a, a headpiece it looks like it's probably doing alpha waves or something but like is it controlling you 
you know, these video games gets you used to killing people, you know, because she she goes she goes into it big where it's like, oh, just kill them. It's like it's it's just a video game character. It doesn't matter. Like just kill them. You know, it it it, may, it reminds me of that nineteen was nineteen seventies prison experiment. You know that that psychological yeah, the Stanford where, prison experiment. Right there's part of it that like I was wondering were they trying to to put that into the story, trying to get people like oh it's, it's a video game you're you're supposed to kill them just kill kill this is your objective, and if they got out of the video game, what if that that alpha wave induction is still on them and you know subliminal messaging it got you going and you still want to go kill kill the person you know like I, I, there there was a part of me that was still questioning that because the end the ending has another twist the twist isn't just oh we're in the video game you know the we we find out that the two main characters actually are radicals and and have the coolest dog gun holster around. <laughs> well, that, that's yeah, like before we get to that, to that question about what is controlling you in the game. It seemed to me that they all there, there was a there was a bit of an improv troupe aspect to the game development that the designer, when talking to the marketing person, was talking about how the game had an the, had an anti game element that he found disturbing. And that was yeah. that was brought to it by obviously Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Lee's character. So the game is picking up on something about the intentions of the players in order to inform what is well there's there's a lot. There's on. even like inside the game, there's one part where um Ian Holmes character had had you know brought in a virus to the game system and and she's talking about how like, oh, the game was trying to tell me that the game had brought in a virus. It was trying to warn me. And in that game, the dog kept bringing guns to people. Like, yeah, well, because they, that game itself was trying to give you a warning of, Hey, a game might warn you that there's a problem in the real, real world. Hey, right now I'm a game warning you. There's a problem in the real world. That dog has a gun. (laughs) When they shoot the Chinese waiter, when, when uh, Pykele shoots the Chinese waiter, he drops the gun and leaves and the dog comes up and picks up the dog, uh, gun and walks away. And the next scene they have the, in the game store, the guy's like, you shouldn't have killed the Chinese waiter. And he holds up the gun and he just says, my dog brought me this. And then later on at Ian Holmes Chateau, this he, dog he, brought this to me. He, he holds up the gun to Allegra Geller and just says, my dog brought this to me. And then the end of the movie, they all get out of the play test and they're Thanks all signing out to dog. leave. They're all <laughs> signing out to leave. And Jude Law just says, oh, thank you for watching my dog. And it's the dog that was in the game. And they they pull off, like, it's a long hair dog. And they pull off this little, like, carpet thing on its back. And the gun is in there. And he pulls it out. And they had, like, twin holster. Them. They both pull out their, their pistols. Yeah, it was a good way to smuggle, you know, a gun in. So what do you think? Do you want to even get into it? Do you think they're still in the game? Or do you think it's the real world? Or does it matter? I guess it doesn't really matter. Yes, yeah, I, I don't see them doing like a sequel or anything to it. Oh no! no I like, like I said, my my big thing was wondering, you know, like was there going to be any bleeding effect? I always wonder that in movies like this, like I, you know, like is there bleed over? I thought there might have been bleed over in the original movie. When we start talking about Thirteenth Floor, I'll get into that. But you know, I always wonder when you're when you're getting into the games that have that. Pre-built character, you know, like I, I always think about that. 
the the Stanford experiment and how you know that that conditioning, especially like a an actual video game conditioning, how much that's going to affect you once you get out of out of the real world. You know. Yeah. That's 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 a, a an aspect that I kind of was looking for more in the movie that isn't there, but at the same point, is there a little bit? You know, because like she hints at it, but like I, I part of that is is like. Cronenberg makes statements, you know, there, there's a whole big part. Like he keeps making the statement of, you know, we're all playing a game. You know, that's, that's, that's an ongoing feeling I get on in his movie. You know, he, he keeps referencing how life is a game, like her, her, her whole take on life versus the video game is, is a big statement that like how much of it is, is supposed to be part of the movie versus just him using it as a platform. Yeah. Well, the, that, that seems to be what the realists are worried about is that people will, people are losing themselves in the game and don't know what's real. And certainly that, that last line, the guy has a gun to his face and he's like, come on, are we still in the game? And like, he, he's not even sure if they've gotten out of the game yet. So you, you can see the danger that would be there. Yeah. Like not being able to tell when you're in real life anymore. Cause again, at one point in this game, you're in the game that goes in the game that goes in a game. And in that game, she literally ports into an infected system. Who knows? Maybe we were going to see a scene of her going into an infected game. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, do you have anything else? I think I think we've kind of covered it. But do you have anything else you want to say about Existence? Um, no, 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 no. I, I think we uh, hit, hit most of the points I could think of in that movie. Good, good movie. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Good, good watch through again. Um, you know, it's been a few years since I had seen it. Pretty much what I remembered. Yeah, this is this is one I watch fairly regularly. I mean, not all the time, but I, I think the last time I saw it was about two years ago. It, it's it's always a fascinating movie to me, and it's it it moves really well. It's I think it's just a just about an hour and a half. Like it 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 sounds like a really confusing RD movie, and it is on a level, but it's also it, it's it's a good pacing. Yeah, like they it, it, they nailed the pacing really well in it. I There's think, no part that's really lull. I think it's very accessible especially for cronenberg film um yeah. and and it it's just and as confusing of... as it seems they they kind of like gloss over it quick enough and and start to dive into it at later points that you you're you're not too upset you know it's like because the the whole the whole technology you know is uh, very 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 confusing but they 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 slowly keep adding more and more to to keep you you know, content, like, oh, okay, they're going to explain a little more. Oh, yeah, okay, I think, now, now I'm seeing this. I think the mystery is intentional. I think that yeah. you're able to understand what they're you They're baiting you with it. You're able to understand what you need to understand with it. And what you don't understand is maybe left intentionally vague. So yeah, it, it is not like a, a, hard, a difficult film. It, I, I think this, every, not everybody, not everybody would enjoy this, but I think this was, like I keep saying, a good introduction to Cronenberg. If you aren't sure where to begin and you're maybe a little kind of uh, hesitant about his reputation. If you're freaked out with the organic technology in it, don't watch any of the uh, more extreme Cronenbergs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely stay away from Videodrome, Shivers, <laughs> The Brood, probably. Uh, stick to Scanners and Madam Butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. 
All right, next up, we're going to be talking about another 1999 sci-fi film, The 13th Floor. Uh, the 13th Floor was written and directed by Josef Rusnak and loosely based on the 1964 novel Simulacron 3. The 13th Floor of the title references the 13th Floor of the building where Douglas Hall, played by Craig Bierko, Hannon Fuller, played by Armin Mueller-Stahl, and Jason Whitney, played by Vincent D'Onofrio have created a fully realized artificial world populated by autonomous AIs, to which they can jack in, using the movie's parlance, by inhabiting avatars based on themselves. The movie is a Nora-tinged sci-fi murder mystery about Douglas Hall trying to find out who murdered his boss, mentor, and friend, Hannon Fuller, and slowly coming to suspect it may have been him all along. Now, this one I didn't see in the theaters. Like, I saw both The Matrix and Existence in theaters, but this one I saw pretty quickly after it came out on video. And I know I, I saw it at least twice around the time with different groups of friends, but then it, it, it never stayed with me. And that seems to be how the public has reacted to it. This movie kind of came and went. And in the 21 years since it's been released, like, it, I don't, I don't think it's, in any sort of conversation i i know people know it's, i know yeah, i don't I, know. I don't hear it in conversation much unless i bring it up because it, for me it it is a movie that stuck with me um of the three it was the first i saw so it it, it really you know kind of kind of set the precedent for for me on the simulated world and and i was actually a fan of simulacron 3 like uh in my youth i like to read the, the classic sci-fis out there you know uh asimov and and stuff like that so uh i, I was i was aware of world on a wire i tried to watch that in my youth but that's a german miniseries it's like four hour movie worth something and then when you're trying to read german subtitles and you're young <laughs> it's a really long movie so it, it was one that I knew I was going to try to watch again when, when you know, I, I, I could, could try to, you know, it was just it, it, the, the concept grasped at me while watching this movie. And I didn't realize that it, it was Simulacron 3 until, you know, like when, when they first dive in, it's like, oh, wait. It's like, I know what this is. Uh, and I got excited when, when they scan in. And then I got, like, really excited because uh, – when he first enters the simulation, they 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 have a real um, Valley of Ash feel. I know it's a uh, the the setting is 1937s, um, but it it gave me a Great Gatsby feel. Like I almost expected to see a Dr. Eckelban like sign as he's driving through. You know, as he's driving towards the city, uh, just had had that certain feel. Really, really caught me. Like the the time period that they go back into was was really awesome for for me. I liked the 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 feel that they they did. I've never read Simulacron three, but I have seen World on a Wire. I, I saw World on a Wire much much later than the Thirteenth Floor. Like when Thirteenth Floor first came out, my only knowledge of it was um, Craig Bierko used to appear on talk shows a lot in the nineties. He was on Conan a lot, and that's kind of how I knew Craig Bierko. And he was on promoting this movie a few months after and seemed very, not quite bitter, but a little bit bemused by how this movie had just been completely obliterated by The Matrix. Because he was on there and he was talking about how he, he was told by the marketing department to describe the 13th floor as The Matrix without the special effects. It, it just, <laughs> so I like Craig Bierko. I wasn't against seeing this movie. I just didn't go out to theaters to see it. 
by the time I did see it, I'd already seen the matrix multiple times and I'd already seen exist ends. And I thought the movie was fine. I thought the movie was good, but I, I was not blown away by any of the concepts. That's, that's how existence was for me since it was the third of the trilogy, you know, the, the not trilogy, but the, the groupings of these three movies, you know, even though we're not doing matrix, it's been brought up multiple times. I, I, I understand what you're saying. It's like, Oh, okay. I've, I've seen the concept. What are you doing different? <laughs> Where existence for me almost gets better every time I see it because I keep finding different, not necessarily layers, but there's just different images. There are different repetitions in that, that all. There's that definitely all... things in the background that like, if you know that they're in the simulation from the beginning, you know, that's when you, you start notice things a little bit more like country gas station, you know, and the, the, the bland names of things. And you, you really start to see like the, the background, you know, when they're doing the, the projection, the rear projection in the car, you know, you start to notice things like that because you're not as focused on what they're saying. You know what they're saying. Oh, oh, they're explaining the gun. Okay. I've, I've, I know this part. Hey, wait a minute. Why, why does everything look weird? Yeah. It lets, it lets you open up while this movie, when, when they're in 1937, when they're in the simulation, it's just 1937, you know, everything, is real as can be on a visual sense that's true I, i'm talking more like in exist ends i feel like everything in that movie once you know where it's going and what the line final line is kind of supports that thesis statement like the are we still in the game even just down to the way that the the people keep getting ho holding the gun and saying my dog brought this to me and then at the end it, the dog brought them the gun and how you brought up in exist ends how the game is telling you that the game is infected and there's somebody that's going to bring a gun and try and kill the game developer. The entire movie is giving away the ending in such a way, even if you think you know what the twist is going to be, you don't quite realize what it's telling you until it's over. They're, they're foreshadowing the foreshadowing in that movie. Whereas I think, I mean, obviously everybody knows the matrix. We don't need to talk about it, <laughs> but we keep, we keep bringing it up. It's just impossible. <laughs> the matrix towers so high over these in the, you know, just, public perception that it's impossible not to but everybody knows what's great about the matrix existence I, I talked about we both talked about what make at least what i think makes that movie great the 13th floor is in many ways the most straightforward out of all of these and you know what makes this movie really great though what's that vincent d'onofrio oh yeah yeah i i want to get to him i want to get to him I just i just wanted to say this, this movie is kind of the most straightforward out of all of them in any other year. Like if this movie had come out in 1998, um, well, it would probably get compared to Dark City. But Right, yeah. Out, I was about to say, it's like it did get that comparison because it's a year afterwards. Yeah, so if it had come out like a year earlier, I, I think it would be much more well-remembered. I think it would have been a bigger hit because this movie does everything it's doing well. It's just kind of the most straightforward out of all of them. <laughs> I think so, one of the big differences between between the other two movies is the other two movies are really about the system and whatnot. And and though we do have the simulation and it is our vessel of the story, the actual story is a murder mystery. It's not about the technology. We're not getting the explanation of the technology and how it's being used and whatnot. You know, there's there's very little on that. It's about the murder mystery and the characters that show up there. Oh, who's who's this daughter? Uh, you know, we have the Allstate guy doing his mystery thing the whole whole time. So you know, it's 
yes, it is a sci-fi movie, but I think before it's a sci-fi, it is, it's a murder mystery. It is because you know, um, even with that noir setting of, of going back into 1937, you know, the Dennis Haysbert, you talk about the detective, he's definitely the most noirish aspect. I mean, he looks like a, he looks like a detective from a noir film. He's a little unshaven. He's got that scruff. He got, wears long black coats and the hat. Tilby, Tilby hat. Yeah. So the murder mystery aspect of it is that Hannon Fuller has created this AI world and, don't they say that it's going to be used to basically research so they can project trends? I don't remember if they mentioned that, but I know that is the basis of Simulacron 3. And uh, Simulacron 3, they, they specifically build it so that they can do uh, research on, you know, like product research without so maybe, infringing on customers. Maybe they talk more explicitly about it in World on a Wire, and I'm, I'm letting that kind of color what I expected that this yeah, world on the wire does build it up, uh, build up the, the simulation a lot more. I mean, it is, it is that they have the time to like, uh, that one builds up more on, you know, the, the world, the simulation, why it's there and whatnot. While, like I was saying, this one is, is, Hey, let's, let's dive into this murder mystery. Don't, don't worry too much about this machine. Yes. It's here. Yes. We're doing things. But it's it's still murder mystery. They, he, he's going in here not to investigate the machine to see if there's something wrong with the machine. He's in here investigating the murder mystery. And so once again, a warning for everybody listening that hasn't seen this movie, um, though I think a lot of people wait until they see the movies before they listen. We are going to talk about the so, quote unquote twist in this movie, which should not actually be a twist to you if you've ever seen any, if you've seen any of these other two movies, or if you looked at the promotional materials, the poster or the DVD box art for the 13th floor, because all of it gives everything away. Well, the cover for the DVD, it's that wireframe, that it's scene the of the wireframe. Yeah, it yeah. is straight up the big reveal. So what's going on is that everybody in the 1937 simulation is a real person. And Craig Bierko goes into they call it jacking in which is so dated it's you know 1990s terminology for the internet <laughs> and but it, it does have a nice double meaning when you find out that armin mueller stahl has just been going into the simulation in order to have sex with women uh, um, another very gatsby, gatsby like moment he's going to the big city to to <laughs> uh, sleep with some ladies <laughs> man we we really are going to have to talk about those gatsby adaptations aren't we you keep bringing it up it's one of my favorite books. I'd, I'd like to do that one eventually. Well, we've already got our next episode planned. So like maybe after that, we've actually got a few. Right. You, you still need to read the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Or, or at least audio tape it. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll do that. I can do it. I can listen to it while I'm doing dishes or something. Right. So Hannon Fuller has created this world that people can go into by basically embodying their avatars in this world. But those people that they've created, the AI are fully realized people. They're just simulations. They have hopes and dreams and inner lives and they work or operate in an unpredictable manner. When uh, Craig Bierko goes down to 1937 for the first time, he's trying to find a message that Armin Mueller-Stahl left for him. Armin Mueller-Stahl in the very beginning of the movie has been murdered and Craig Bierko is the number one suspect and Bierko starts to suspect himself. The big reveal is 
it was Craig Bierko, but it it also wasn't because the 1999 reality is also a simulation from a 2024 reality. And Craig Bierko's right. Craig right around B the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three, three, four years away. Why did I say three? Four years uh, away. Closer to three than four. Yeah, you're true. You're true. There's some dialogue that Craig Bierko is, is Craig Bierko the creator of the. Uh, in the 2024 reality, is he the guy that created the simulation? The 19 the, the older, the, the 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 one who's died. Fuller is the one who created it. Yeah, but who created the 1999? So I don't know that. That is one thing I I wondered more about because when when Fuller's daughter is revealed to be from the the top layer, we'll we'll call it the from 2024. She mentions that there are multiple simulations and she makes it sound like it's their job. Like there's, there's one point where she talks about how he gets like obsessed with the job because uh, his character is going in and he starts to like the killing. Right. But it, it, it feels like there are multiple simulations out there. Like, I'm not sure if they're going to be different time periods or whatnot, because she comments like no one else has ever created a simulation within a simulation you know, we, we got to eliminate that and things, but then they reveal they're just like jacking in in 2024 at their house. So it's like there, there's, there's a, a little bit that I felt could have been explained more about what was going on in 2024. Yeah, because I, I thought that the Craig Bierko character from 2024 was supposed to be the inventor of this simulation technology or the fact that they're doing it at home kind of implies a little bit more of a casual relationship i expected more of a i'm not even sure of... if bieko in 2024 ever jacked in she just commented on fuller being designed at being based off of her father in the real uh, in the real 2024 yeah so her father the armin mueller stall character doesn't appear to be a scientist. He's just an old man walking along a beach just at the end of the movie. Yeah. So maybe he didn't, but no, Craig. Like, I, I don't, they, they, as far as we know, like, I don't think the person who created the 1999 simulation is in the movie at all, because I think there's so many simulations out there that you can just own them. That it's just a thing. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Cause I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to just assume it was Craig Bierko, but we do see Craig Bierko. <laughs> show up like the 2024 version because he takes over his 1999 version and tries to kill Gretchen Maul. Did he? Yeah, that was the whole end of the movie. Remember that? That's how Craig Bierko got to 2024. Wait, so, no, I'm thinking the older guy. Craig oh, Bierko is the star of the movie. Yes, Craig Bierko is the star. Armin Mueller-Stahl is the old old guy. I'm sorry. Okay, I, yeah. I was, I'm, <laughs> I'm naming their actors because their actor names more because they have several different names as characters and keeping them straight was just going to be, <laughs> I knew I was going <laughs> to screw up at one point. So I just, the decided... only actor I, uh, the, the, I, I recognize out of the two, the uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and the Allstate guy. Uh, yeah. Um, Gretchen Maul was kind of an it girl in the late nineties, early two thousands. Oh not... man. She had a really good hairstylist. That is one thing <laughs> I do. When I come yeah. Around. And she goes through like three different hairstyles in the movie and you can tell like what's going on each time. Like, oh, hey, she's a different person now. Look at her hair. Yeah, that's exactly true. Like the scene when she's like when we start to the movie starts to reveal that 1999 is a simulation and they go 
and they just see the person who had been Gret or the light well, it's bulb still Gretchen like Wall. But, the, but uh, they go and see her and she doesn't recognize them. And so they start to piece it together. I will say this movie, like the main twist in the movie, I think is handled very well because it's not actually handled like a big twist. It's handled like a reveal to the characters, but the movie is never really trying to keep it a secret from us. It doesn't, it's not like an M. Night Shyamalan movie where it's building up to some big twist. And if it doesn't work, the rest of the movie doesn't work. Right. This is actually like just, it's telling a good story. I think it's revealed well in the movie. It only suffers because by this time, the time this came out, everybody was kind of familiar with where it was going to go. And of course, the fact that all of the marketing let you know where it was going. Right. Now, the the things that make it different from Existence and, and Matrix that I really like is that the, the simulation is constantly going. Like they, they even comment how they you can't turn it off. It's always going. You know, they're living their own lives. And the avatars that they're jacking into aren't just avatars. They are living their own life. So when they log in, that person's like in the middle of something. Like one time he's, he's at the bank and he's a bank teller and a lady's yelling at him. And he's like, what? Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm in this really cool simulation, you know, his first time jacking in. And he's just like, wow. And she's like, excuse me, sir. You know, so just interrupts the guy's life. And when he leaves... He leaves the body there, you know, uh, the, the body's talking to D'Onofrio's character inside 1937, Ashton. And and at that point, Ashton has gotten a letter. Like, I know he's not the main character, but he is he is the character to watch. Like, I would like to see a, a B-rail that is just from Ashton's perspective and, and everything he's going through. Like, I'd like to see some more of his emotional things because that that guy goes on a roller coaster of a ride. He is, you know, the first, he's, he's the first reveal of a character finding out that they're fake. They are made, you know, like the, I'm, I'm not real. I'm in this simulation, you know, and he's, he's doing the discovery and it's through his discovery that our main character discovers his actual thing. But like when he, he gets pulled into the actual 1999, you know, when he goes up, you know, that was that was a huge twist. That was a huge thing. I, I thought that was really cool. So not only do we have a system that's constantly going on with characters jacking in, but the other big change, like the other big reveal, isn't just like, oh, the world's a simulation. You know, that's the that's the reveal in the matrix, that's the reveal in existence. But the big reveal is the video game just took over the real world. You know, like I was talking about the the bleed through in existence happening. This movie has a hundred percent bleed through where your personality just got replaced. It wasn't, oh, I got, I know this video game thing. No, the video game just took me over. Like uh, I was, I was playing, you know, some some uh, Halo, and now Master Chief is in my body. <laughs> You're completely correct. It's a little bit weird. I don't think the movie explains it entirely successfully, but it, you can kind of piece together how that works because there's the graphic when they go down into the yeah, simulation. All of one graphic like explains everything you need. <laughs> I love the simplicity shows, of that. It's like when you first brain. see that, like they, they see that first and they don't comment on it. You see that he's being downloaded into the system. You're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But then you're like, Oh, why is the system being uploaded into his brain? Yeah, there's so many things about this. I'm assuming that part of what the machine does is it keeps people asleep. I mean, it has to put the body to sleep. Otherwise, that's such a weird design flaw. 
Uh, right? another, yeah. <laughs> another weird design flaw in this is that they don't seem to be able to monitor or maybe they're able to monitor, but they just never bother monitoring what their avatars are doing. Because when they're trying to figure out what Armin Mueller-Stahl's character had been doing in 1937, Vincent D'Onofrio is able to pull up a list of all of the, uh, the AIs that he interacted with. And so Craig Bierko has a list of names that he can go and talk to in 1937. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe it's like Matrix and they can see the ones and zeros, but they haven't learned how to look at those ones and zeros and be like, oh, that's a redhead, that's a blonde, that's a brunette. Yeah, but what I'm just wondering, like, why they wouldn't check to see what their avatar is doing before they jack in? Oh, before, yeah, yeah. Because it, like, oh, he's in the middle of a conversation. Maybe I should jack in at work. Because later maybe I movie, should know the Charleston when I jack in and not upset my wife. <laughs> yeah, because later in the movie, Vincent D'Onofrio jacks in. Oh man, he's driving Talk about worse timing. <laughs> He's driving a car that has a body in the trunk. So he ends up getting killed. He gets run over in 1937, which leads to... Well, he gets he gets pulled over as the cops, like, letting him go. Like, cops here banging in the trunk. He's like, he doesn't know there's a body in the trunk. Sure enough, body in the trunk. Cop pulls a gun on him, and he's doing the freaking out. Like, what's going on? What's going on? Backs in the traffic. Wham. It's final destination. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Man, that's that's when you want the cop from Dale and Tucker first evil, you know. Well, oh, hey. you just got a torso. Yeah, let me go ahead and explain what's going on. <laughs> well, call back to our first episode. But yes, that he actually does because the guy, the cop is leaving until he he finds the body in the trunk. He's about to leave. That leads to the nineteen thirty-seven version of Vincent D'Onofrio Ashton who is a bartender and pimp and like sleazy guy, kind of a sleazy guy. He wakes up in the 1999 world. And the reason I think that's such a, a bizarre design flaw is why would they, I mean, there's gotta be a better way of getting into the simulation than actually switching a consciousness. And the idea, just the idea the people you're going into have a consciousness should have clued them in to these aren't just computer programs. These are people with real lives. And it, like of, of all the questions on like simulation morality, this one really touches on it. Because Craig Bierko, it's such a shock to him when he gets in there the first time and realizes that everybody in there has their own soul, basically. I, th- I think they actually use the word soul at one point. It's such a shock to him, and he's so disturbed by it. And he's, he's like, we're playing gods with the, uh, God with these people's lives. And it, you know, he's saying it's immoral and they shouldn't be doing it. But then his first instinct is we need to shut the project down, which would kill billions of people. Right. <laughs> all, all them lives. I, I don't know. I don't know what the other option is. I guess just make sure that you have dedicated server with backup power and leave that shit alone. I mean, you could still do do your, your studies. You don't need a jack-in to do market research, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess not. But, but again, I'm not sure if that's what the simulation was about in this one. I don't recall that. Another design flaw in this simulation, and it goes for the 1999 simulation and the 1937 simulation, the ends of the earth effect. When they, like, what convinces Vincent D'Onofrio's character in 37 and what convinces Craig Bierko's character in 1999, they both drive out of town past these road-closed signs and find basically... A like a wireframe graphics, like all you know, computer graphics. The, the, the world, movie poster graphics. <laughs> yeah, 
So the world just trails off into wireframe graphics. Why would they have made that so easy to get to for any of the characters, right? So, so I, I think about that. You know, they 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 have the obvious roadblocks and whatnot, and things start to get a little wasted. But there, there's another part where both of them like kind of there's a nagging at them. I think there's also a psychological effect that if you were going out that way, just happenstance, you were driving out that way, something in your mind and the program is going to make you want to turn around. But Vincent D'Onofrio had read the letter, you know, they were going out there seeking the answers because it said, no matter what, keep driving, you know, no matter what you think, keep going out there. And they, they, they I, I think they're pushing back and urged to turn around, you know, like the fight where flight and emphasis on the flight has kicked in and is, is trying to push them away. But I think that they are, are going past that because there's a truth out there. That That's true. And you're right that um, the letter states, don't follow any road signs, don't listen to any instructions, because they must have hi like hidden that road somehow. But it's still just a little like a little sign or like blockade that says road closed and they just drive through it. Video game designers in 1999 had known for years how to hide the edges of a map by putting like uh, mountains. Yeah, but I've come across many a little logs in a road that have stopped me from going past that road. That's true. <laughs> that leads me to wonder what this world is because I, part of why I find that such a shocking flaw is that even if you've got just that little like oh we're going to program it so they can't find their way out there there are how many people in the simulation they expect the simulation to go on and probably grow for years eventually you have to if, if they all have free will eventually you have to assume there's a chance one or two of them or more of them may find their way out there truman also, never found the way out who didn't truman well yes he did not until like he was in his 30s well yeah that's what i'm talking about something could happen right something anything could happen if everybody in that in that reality they had... were still young that was a young reality they hadn't even got they, they were still in beta testing that you know they he was surprised but it's the same that fuller thing in, was logging in but it's the same thing in 1999 and that is presumably a much more developed simulation I, I still think that they're running like home program systems because because again they comment on on multiple simulations being out there. I think that's just like a regular Xbox. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, that's that's weird. If everybody would have, if everybody could have their own simulation, their own world. Oh gosh, I mean it it, it raises a lot of ethical questions. I mean we have that now in the days. <laughs> well, kind of, kind of. But we, we don't have anything nearly. As I've adult. seen many a people put a sim in a swimming pool and pull up the ladder, man. Yes. Tell me that's not a, a, a argument on ethics. We do not. We know that these sim these sims do not have souls in the way that the people in this movie do. Although that's an interesting movie in itself. The reality from the eyes of a sim that becomes aware. I want stress in a sim for Halloween. And I worked in a warehouse where I had to talk on the radio all the time. And then the time they called me on the radio, I just did the Sims talk. With them. It was yeah. fun. People laughed. Other people were pissed because they kept doing it. Good times were had on that Halloween. <laughs> to continue just a little bit, <laughs> sorry. I, I'm just so 
curious about how this all works because when Craig Vierko is talking to the detective the day after Armin Mueller-Stahl has been killed, and he says, I was on an airplane when it happened. And they said, well, your plane got in at 1030, and he wasn't killed until just after midnight. I guess you can, you can program people to have all sorts of memories or ideas, but it seems like they're kind of leaving the simulation alone, except for the times or, that they jack or in. Or like in the video games going into like your typical MMO, you have what are referred to as instances. So maybe going to the airport is just loading into different gateways and you on a plane, you're just downloading over into a different simulation. Well, that hey, there you go. You solved yeah. it. You solved it. So um, one fun thing, they, they spent a lot of time in, in Fuller's apartment. Did you, did you notice that apartment? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, um, is it the Ennis house? That's Decker's apartment from Blade Runner. I think it's Frank Lloyd Wright. And it's here in Hollywood. It's I've been to it, not inside. They have tours, but I've driven past it when I was uh, driving. Oh, yeah. When I was driving for Uber, it's also where House on Haunted Hill was filmed. The exteriors, anyway. But yeah, it, it's an interesting place. It's been in a bunch of movies. I'm trying to think of what else it's been in. Yeah, it was like seeing seeing the the I don't know what you call it, edge work, the sconch work. It's, yeah, it's it, very distinctive. When you see it, you're like where have I seen that before? You know, you see it at first and then they show like a really good scene where it's like, Oh, you want us to see this apartment. You want us to see that. Cause, cause like, honestly, Blade Runner is the movie that kind of fits into these, you know, it's not simulated reality, but they're simulated people in reality. Yes. It, it's so overused. You wonder now in 1999, why they would have used it again. I'm just on Wikipedia right now looking at some of it. It's been in The Karate Kid Part 3, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Black Ring, Glimmer Man, The Replacement Killers, Rush Hour, uh, obviously this. Um, oh, it's it's the exterior was the mansion that Angela Spike and Drusilla were in, lived in, in Buffy. Oh, okay. House on Haunted Hill, Blade Runner. Um, oh, parts of it were used for Mulholland Drive, The Rocketeer. It's just used all the time, but it's so recognizable. It, you, you wonder now why people are using it so much because it just seems like it would bring to mind. I mean, maybe that's why they're using it because it would bring to mind all of those earlier productions, but it would also just kind of make you think, oh, I'm watching a movie now. You know, you're watching a movie, but you know what I mean? It kind of. Yeah, that, that suspension of disbelief kind of gets slapped in the face when it's like, oh, wait, you here's a little. It's like hearing the Wilhelm scream. You're like, oh, Wilhelm scream. Great. <laughs> it's like I like hearing that scream, but I I wait way to way to put in, you know, the overused audio scream of, of the century. <laughs> now that I think about it, maybe that's exactly why they chose to use it for this film, because it, it does cinephiles. Like basically calling into question the reality of the movie. Because you watch it and you're like, oh, this is fake. It's a movie. They're in that okay. famous house I've seen in countless other movies. Well, I recognize this place. Why do I recognize this? So maybe, place? maybe that's maybe that was just chosen. That, that maybe, sense of deja vu. I might be overthinking it, but maybe not. I, I mean, <laughs> this movie has a. But really these good... are movies that are meant to for that overthinking. You know, the the that that suspension of of reality. You know, what what is there? What what are you questioning? Why are you questioning? Yeah, because this movie, it, it has a good pedigree. It has people working on it that 
no movies and would put that kind of thought in it. The, this was produced by Michael Ballhouse. Oh, that's what it was. The producer. Yeah. Yeah. Which I remember, I remember there was a connection there somewhere. Yeah. Cause uh, Joseph Rusnak, he, he was the second unit director on Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. That's how Roland Emmerich got involved with this. Cause he's also a producer. Okay. And I'm assuming Roland Emmerich. The best got, Godzilla. Oh. I can't say that with a big face. I know. I know you're joking, which is the only reason. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm sorry. Let it out. All right. <laughs> uh, but I think I think Roland Emmerich got involved with this because of the uh, he'd worked with Joseph Rusnak and I'm assuming Roland Emmerich bought along all of those special effects when they jack in that are, that look like the Stargate special effects when they yeah, go through the Stargate. Yeah. This is very 1990s conception of what kind of the future of the internet would look like. I don't know. You think, you think we've covered this? Do you have anything more you want to say about 13th floor? I think we uh, think covered it pretty good. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back and we're going to have our top five of the week. And we're back. And this week, our top five mirroring the theme of the show today. Our topic is, is this the real life? And so we've each picked five movies that blur or blend or at least have some duality between what is real and what is not real within the movie. Jared, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Um, uh, first one I have, uh, Total Recall. And, and I'm going with the original uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger Total Recall. I feel that one's a little bit more based off of the book. Wait, there, um, there's, and... a, there's, a, there's more than one Total Recall? there yeah yeah i'm just joking i mean why would you why would you pick the remake (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because some i don't know but yeah no the first total recall you know two weeks that 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 great one great movie uh it deals with there's the whole question is he actually inside total recall or not you know there's a part in the movie where a scientist comes up and explains the whole rest of the movie to him so it's like uh, you you don't know what's going on and and it has has the the memory implants it has bits of of you know inception or or uh, existence going on in there good flick was that early 90s some great graphics in there when 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 they're when they're exposed to uh the atmosphere at the end and their eyes start bulging that, that i remember that scene like freaking me out yeah, Paul Verhoeven, man, he is a master. After watching the Thirteenth Floor the first time, I missed the, the first couple of times I saw it. I missed the credit saying it was based on Simulacron Three by Daniel Gluey. I assumed for years that Thirteenth Floor was a Philip K. Dick story or novel. Part of it is because of stuff like Total Recall. It just seems like like that sort of idea. It's crazy because Simulacron Three, we we barely even knew what you know, computers were, there was no internet at that time. And it, and it just, it deals, you know, with some, some, some crazy far out ideas. It's such a, a popular idea. Now it seems very ahead of its time, like the 13th floor, 
I mean, we're getting back into the talk, but hey, let's do it. It does feel ahead of its time just because of how much, you know, simulation theory has taken off here uh, now in the last couple of years. Right. It, it fits. It fits with our, our our era now more than it did back in the 90s. Yes. Or even 99. <laughs> and I have to imagine that maybe even more than it did in the 60s, right? Oh, for sure. You know, people weren't thinking, you know, when people talk about the personal computer, you know, it's the size of a room and they're only getting bigger. <laughs> Total recall. Great choice. I'm going to go. I think I'm going to steal one from you. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is on your list. I'm going to steal the Matrix. And Matrix was kind of on there because it kind of just needed to be on there. It, no? it does. But I, I think, man, I love the Wachowskis. Now, now question, is this Matrix standalone or Matrix as a trilogy? Uh, standalone, though, I really want to revisit the rest of the trilogy. There are parts of the trilogy I know I'm going to not really like. But I've, I got really into the Wachowskis the last couple of years. I mean, I've, always, I've watched everything they've made and I really liked it. But over the last couple of years, I went and revisited most of their movies. And God, they're just so good. Cloud Atlas is amazing. Cloud Atlas is a really good one. Speed Racer, as, as, like, <laughs> like, as poppy as that movie is, it, it is unlike anything you're ever going to see. Or it, It's so good. And The Matrix is a movie that I think is so much in our public consciousness, we take it for granted how well it works on its own as a movie. Uh, one of the primary influences is Simulacron 3 and World on a Wire. The, they really fed into what made The Matrix The Matrix, and they combined it with Kung Fu and anime and just all of these sci-fi tropes and made an and amazing leather. movie. And lots and lots of leather. I think that movie really holds up. Matrix is really good. It's and it's like just a movie that really seemed to define action movie making. Like it changed action movie making for years. We're still seeing yeah. Matrix clones. But uh, you've got to pick. What's your next one? You know, I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to go with the uh, Truman Show. That's that's such a good fit for this theme. Uh, it's it's not on my list because I, I I mean I got a sneak peek at your list and I didn't want to take it. But it it's such a perfect fit. It is. Um, I'm not a huge Jim Carrey fan. A lot of his more slapstick style comedy just isn't up my alley. But this is this is one of the the films that that's on his resume, his filmography that is definitely one of the the, the top top films. He, he does such a great job in it. His slapstick has not aged very well, but it's embarrassing how into it I was when I was 16 years old. <laughs> like how many times I just wore out. Ace Ventura on VHS. I was all on board for Jim Carrey for a while, but then like fell off almost immediately. I think by the time the mask came out, I was starting to get tired of him. Oh, geez. That's when he was like really starting to take it off. Yeah, because well, didn't they all come out in the same year? The mask, Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura. So it was like a one year uh, period. So anyway, go ahead. Truman Show. So, you know, it's 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 about a whole city, you know, built around watching one guy like there's one guy who believes he's living living his his normal life but everyone around him is a bunch of actors you know it's it's kind of like the reverse of going into a simulation this is a, a a real life simulation has been built around this guy and it's all put on tv and everyone in the world is the most popular tv show everyone in the world has watched truman grow up 
go through, you know, his trials and tribulations of life. And, and it's really great. And then he starts to slowly, you know, see the, the cracks in the, in the, the ceiling. And, and there's, there's a few things that are like, he starts thinking about, starts noticing things. And it's a, he goes through the discovery of finding out that his life is a lie. And, and it has your, uh, your 13th floor scene where he goes out to the edge and, and this, they have, I'm not sure if it's the ocean or if it's a giant lake or what it's supposed to be, but there's a body of water that separates their town. I believe there's like a bridge too or something, but you know, they're, they're isolated that way. They even have him like go out there and they're like, turn on the storms. You know, they, they, they have forceful means on ways to keep him. You know, there's, there's been times where Truman has expressed trying to leave town, but they always have the, the producers have some kind of way to, you know, convince him that it's not the best idea. Maybe I'll do it later and, and push him back. But he gets to his edge of the, of the world and it's a giant dome. His, his whole world's in a giant, like, can see it from space dome. It's pretty cool. Good choice. My next one is going to be, uh, like, I think I took kind of a different path than you a few times, but my next one is going to be The Fountain. Hugh Jackman, and I believe Rachel Weisz is his wife, and it's directed by Darren Aronofsky. It takes place in three different time periods, and it's Hugh Jackman in all of them. There's kind of a medieval time period, and then there's the modern day time period where he, uh, like his wife, has is dying of cancer. And then there's also a futuristic, like weird fantasy futuristic segment where he's floating through space in this giant bubble with a tree, and. It is ostensibly the search for the fountain of youth or something to save his wife. Since you've never seen it, I'm not actually going to explain why it's on the list. The, it sounds almost like Cloud Atlas with the taking place throughout multiple lives. Yeah, it was kind of a little bit of a flop. I think it's it's not one of Darren Aronofsky's more well-respected films. How was uh, Jackman in that playing three different characters? Was Oh, he's good. I mean, it's straight yeah. drama. It's a, And he's he's convincing in all of them it, it's a little bit of a heightened reality to the movie as well it i'm surprised you've not even heard of it yeah so uh what do you got next for you uh next one going kind of along your route with the fountain i guess um the nines oh wow yeah yes yeah. starring I, ryan reynolds and melissa mccartney uh as they play what three different roles i want to say in that two or three i can't quite remember everything about that i saw it once when it first came out but it's an interesting movie very interesting movie really gets you questioning on things because it, it starts off uh you know you're you're following Reynold reynolds ryan reynolds character i believe they're going out camping or something melissa mccartney's character shows up it's uh, like it's been a long time since i've seen it too um but they they eventually the story tells three different stories. And I want to say they're kind of jumping back and forth to them, if I can remember correctly, but eventually it all ties, like it brings together with a, a you know, without too much of a reveal, but some, some higher beings being involved for those who haven't seen it. Since it, it, it's a movie that a lot of people don't know about surprisingly, like I, I bring it up all the time and, it, and it's not like, I feel it's when Ryan Reynolds was really starting to take off, you know, uh, Van Wilder had already been out. I want to say waiting had just came out, you know, he, he was making a name for himself. So it's one that, that should have kind of like popped. It's, it's the movie I feel brought Melissa McCartney, like 
started acting again. You know, I hadn't seen her since she was uh, doing the Jenny McCartney show. You know, that was the first time I saw her on that. Um, and then, you know, a few years later, she started popping up in a lot of movies, being typecast. And, and if you want to see Melissa McCartney be an amazing actress, this is the movie for you. She doesn't, she doesn't pull her, you know, atypical comedian character that she does in a lot of movies she does here she actually plays like three really compelling characters and it's it's really good ryan reynolds also you know a comedian this is this is a non-comedy of a movie for for two well-known comedians um and if you happen to get the dvd i think it was on the dvd there is a little short film of melissa cartney's where it's like she's the only character in the short film but she uh she's best friends with god and she talks to him on this on a on a, a home phone all the time and it's it's a hilarious little short film that if you ever get the chance to watch it's, it's worth it i will definitely look that up i'm gonna have to watch the nines again like i said it's been a long time no i remember it being a really good movie and and there, there's some good twists in it too uh which i don't want to spoil too much but know that there's twists out there people yeah i think i think most of the movies we're talking about today are going to have twists in them of, of one sort or another right <laughs> so next up for me i'm gonna pick another one another little off-center film i'm gonna pick david lynch's lost highway and okay i man that's i almost that's... went with mulholland drive because i think mulholland drive is much more explicit about a reality shift that that has a, a turning point in which you definitely know that reality has changed and you're not quite sure which is the real reality and which is not the real reality or maybe they're both real and we're just getting a muddled impression of it lost highway is in some ways kind of a dry run for mulholland drive but it doesn't have a defining switch between realities there there seem to be two different realities coexisting and different characters or different actors, uh, how do I want to put it? Different people have different roles in the realities, but they're all the same person in some way. I, I, it's kind of hard to explain if you haven't seen it, but right. it, it does leave you asking like, well, what is real about this? What part of this was real and what part wasn't? And if it's all real, how is that possible? But what, what's next for you? Uh, next for me, um, not not as much of a, a a twist or anything, but dealing with the, the simulation. Uh, Ready Player One. Nice, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it certainly fits. Some 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 definitely variations off the book. Uh, I I really enjoyed the book. The movie still really enjoyable. The, the the funnest part is probably just like all the pop culture references you get thrown in there. That are, that's real enjoyable like yeah that, uh, that's the common complaint is that it's basically pop culture reference the movie but it is it is a fun adventure i i there's a satisfying core to that movie yeah though they change a lot of the quests that that are in there you know what what they had to do in the book versus what they had to do in the movie uh it was also nice seeing you know like some other pop culture questy things go on you know it, it, it kind of fit well the the changes that were made were, were pretty reasonable. I liked it. Uh, but, you know, definitely it has that simulation going on. But that that virtual world seems like a really awesome world. Different levels of immersion that you can go through, you know, whether it's just the 
controlling your hands and having a visor to the point where they have skin suits where you can feel people touching you you know that the, they they developed that of of all the movies we talked about i think that technology was pretty well defined uh compared to some of the others yes you can see the technology just on the horizon and it does seem portrayed in this book and in this movie as probably like the the best possible way because you there's a lot of movies that take this te- kind of technology and make it sinister and in this movie and world it does seem like and it has its a sinister movie. corporation trying to capitalize on it aspect but at the same po- time it's it's freeing for for so many yeah so next up for me i'm gonna go with one that we've already invoked in this episode i'm gonna go with dark city from one year before The Matrix and Existence and 13th Floor came out. Probably Alex Prios's best film, as much as I love The Crow and as much as that really informed my adolescence, Dark City is probably a better movie overall. It's just as stylish as The Crow. It, like the look of it is amazing. That's the name one... fits it so well because it is like the setting is just so dark without being hard to see like you don't have to try to adjust the gamma on your tv there's still like at lighting but everything just feels so dark in it like the the set work is so great in it yeah and this one kind of fits more with uh truman show because it's not a a simulation it's not a alternate reality it is a a real reality it's just been manufactured their experience the character's experience of it is being manufactured i feel that was one of the movies uh you know in in my younger days where if you knew somebody watched it like you could talk to them about other movies because a lot of people like like oh dark city that was weird it's like okay cool yeah i'm not gonna talk to you (laughs) oh yeah it's It's a a great great litmus test yes okay um so you have one more correct uh let's go with uh inception classic you know not uh, it doesn't have well i guess it does have simulations they're going into they're creating mindscapes and whatnot um existence like uh when i first saw um inception like i thought of existence right away because it was you know how when when they're in the game they go in the game to go in the game you know they they do that in this inception where they're going in the dreams dreams dream like they, they they got those layers going on we got some great graphics uh dr strange really loved the graphics and inception and utilized the crap out of it in their film uh but you got uh leonardo dicaprio uh he's a, an amazing actor i like him he's in a great film the great gatsby just gonna throw that out there to tease you a little bit okay <laughs> and uh ellen ellen page she also does a fantastic job and uh tommy what's his name i can't think of his name three letters tom hardy no tommy from third rock from the sun oh joseph gordon levitt yeah jgl he, he he's in that film great great lineup like the three main actors are all like actors that if i see in a film you know like oh hey they're in this film i, I should check it out yeah, it's a great cast. And Ken Watanabe is there and Killian Murphy. And of course, Michael Caine is in everything that everything that he does. Yeah, when I watched that movie, my initial thought was, man, Christopher Nolan really, really wants to direct a James Bond movie. <laughs> it was very, very Bond-esque. I thought that also when watching The Dark Knight, that opening scene, or no, Dark Knight Rises, the opening scene where they hijack the plane 
it's also the opening scene for License to Kill. They do the same thing with a plane where they, <laughs> they hook onto the end of it and have it hanging up like vertically. All of the dream levels in Inception seem like they could each be a set piece from a Bond movie. Like you got the classy hotel, you got the the fight on skis. It, it almost they're... feels like he's going through like the different generations of Bonds. Yeah. But like, it, oh, this is my Connery, this is my Moore, this is my Lansby for some reason. So my my final one is another little little kind of off-center pick. I'm going to go with The Fall, directed by Tarsum. Did you ever see it? I think so. It, he directed uh, The Cell with Vincent D'Onofrio. Okay, I know I saw bit. The Cell. Yeah, yeah. And that movie was terrible, but I always thought it looked great. Like visually, there's some really. Oh yeah. <laughs> like the story of how this movie got made is almost as entertaining as the movie itself. He was a commercial director, and he did, of course did that REM video for Losing My Religion. After the cell bombed, he went back to doing commercial work. And he would take commercial work in countries he wanted to visit and he would take his camera crew. And while he was there filming the commercial, he would go off on his downtime and film scenes for this movie. And the movie is set in the early 1900s. And it's about a stunt man who gets injured and he's recuperating in a hospital and he befriends this girl and he's telling this girl a story. And then, so half the movie is, the visualizations of that story that he's telling her, it is amazing to look at. Unbelievably, they claim that there are no computer generated images, that all they did with computers is cor like correct the colors a little bit. They didn't like add anything to it. They didn't digitally edit out stuff. Everything that you see in there is practical. And when you watch the movie, keep that in mind because you are going to have a very hard time believing that the the stuff that he was able to get huh, the fall huh the fall yeah i don't think i've seen it I, I, it's not what i was thinking i was thinking of, of a horror movie oh yeah no this is this is from 2006 it's amazing as a story it maybe isn't the most original thing and it doesn't necessarily pack the punch that maybe they want but as an experience like it's just so gorgeous to look at and the, the story is good i don't want to like make it sound like the story is awful and it's just the visuals like everything about it works but just like on a visual level holy cow so uh that's our top five uh i think we've kind of covered everything we wanted to think uh, to cover tonight jared is there anything that you would like to say or plug before we say goodbye uh metallic dice games has just released our first batch of collectible pins uh they're by artist amber Keppinger, uh your partner yes uh check them out metallicdicegames.com i believe they're going 9.99 use code two heads get 10 percent off and help support the incredible two-headed podcast well thank you you just did one of my plugs for me oh <laughs> the, the pins I, i've already posted about it i will post some more stuff after this episode drops they, they're really cool. We're going to be getting our pins in here soon, I think. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah them, they, they should be going out, uh, if not tomorrow, Monday. Good. I've seen the pictures of them, and they all look great. Of course, I mean, I saw the pictures of what her designs were, but seeing the actual pins was cool. So, yeah, um, Metallic Dice Games, I mean, they, they have other stuff there, too. They have <laughs> dice and dice accessories, but they also have these cool pins now. They make great stocking stuffers. And like he said, yeah. 
the code two heads spelled out t-w-o-h-e-a-d-s at checkout gets you 10 percent off one of our latest things that have been moving real hot is uh sharp edge dice we have sharp edge resin dice all sorts of colors and those guys have been moving moving quickly that was uh, one of our hotter things and i'm not sure how many of those colors are going to be lasting after they after we go through the first batch of them so uh keep your eye out on, on some of those uh sharp edge dice yeah everybody check them out they're a cool yeah. company they got got some cool stuff if you've enjoyed the show I, I thank everybody for tuning in and spending some time with us but if you enjoy the show please rate review and subscribe it does help us out uh, you can follow the incredible two-headed podcast on most of the major social media sites instagram and twitter at two-headed pod and there's also a facebook page that you can find you should be able to just search for it incredible two-headed podcast it'll come right up you can like us i like to post updates uh images there's polls about the stuff we talk about i'm trying to keep it fun i'm trying to do more of it yeah give us a follow thank you jared thank you for being here and uh we've already got our next recording lined up i'm not sure when that's going to air but i am definitely looking forward to that one yeah super excited all right thanks guys happy rolling <laughs>